0: The following audio is from Shady Grove Presbyterian Church in Rockville, Maryland. Our mission is to follow Jesus Christ and labor for His kingdom both in our area and around the world. For more information about Shady Grove Presbyterian Church, please follow us on Facebook and visit ShadyGrovePCA.org. A little bit about myself. I'm Cyril Chavis. I am married uh, to Janelle Chavis, and we have two kids. I have a daughter who's a year and a half and another daughter who's four months uh, so we we have a lot of new things going on, new city, new ministry, new humans in our family. So just a lot of new things going on. <laughs> um, and uh, so the RUF at Howard is a startup, so it's not an officially recognized ministry. I've been in D.C. for a couple weeks. We just moved August 1st, so right now I'm just in the process of uh, communicating the vision and uh, developing partners in ministry and just getting on campus. So I'm actually a student at Howard. Classes start uh, tomorrow. So it's actually kind of funny. Last night I was sitting down and I was like, "Oh, I got to register for classes." And so I'm I'm on on there look, looking for the syllab- syllabi and, you know, trying to sign up for courses. So I think I'm going to take Intro to African American Studies and I want to take piano. I I took piano lessons when I was younger, but I never followed through, so I'm I'm going to try and restart uh piano. Um, but it's just I just a privilege to be a part of the the mix over there and to be able to have the honor of, of being on on that campus uh but and uh charlie he's been on the ruf committee and he's been a real encouragement to me and we've got together and had lunch and uh he shared with me a lot of encouraging things about you all so it's an honor to be able to stand before you all and to worship with you and, and share god's word so uh, would you all flip to john chapter 21 john chapter 21 and I'll be starting out in verse 9. but um, So today I, I've heard that you all have been going through biblical leadership and that you all are going through the elder and, and deacon nomination process and that you all are about to uh, receive among your miss new elders and deacons. So uh, in the interest of kind of having some continuity in the pulpit, I said, okay, I'll kind of preach on leadership. I've been an elder for... Um, I guess almost two years. That's barely any time. So I don't know how much, you know, real advice I can offer uh, new elders other than stick close to Jesus. <laughs> and so that's really what I'm going to uh, talk about. So uh, the, the title of our time today is, Have You Had Breakfast with Jesus? Have You Had Breakfast with Jesus? And here we see, we're in John's gospel account his account is all about pointing us to Jesus as the Messiah. And by believing in Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God, we will have eternal life. And so in the, this last chapter, he is kind of commissioning Peter almost his he, he, he has his 12 disciples. And these disciples are called apostles. These are kind of these these are going to be the foundation of Jesus church. And Peter is kind of the leader of the apostles. And we see uh, Peter. Uh, dealing or uh, reverse Jesus dealing with peter Jesus commissioning Peter to lead his church, so I kind of want to pull some leadership lessons from our text today so again John chapter twenty one starting out in verse nine, and we will read god 's word when they so jesus is so again uh, Jesus is coming to the beach, he is seeing his disciples for the third time and the disciples are fishing and Jesus tells them, he's, they're fishing and he tells them to cast the net on the other side of the boat because they weren't catching any fish. And a miracle happens, they catch a ton of fish and they recognize it's Jesus because Jesus had already done this from the get-go. This is one of the first miracles Jesus did. So like, ah, it's Jesus. So um, now they're going towards the beach to meet up with Jesus. So verse nine, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Amen. This is God's word. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to be here gathered, assembled, In your presence. Jesus, we do not take this lightly that you have something to say to us. God, you have given us your written word. You have given us these scriptures so that we might know who you are and that we might know how to live life abundantly. So Jesus, I ask in this moment that you would send your spirit to fill us, Lord, to fill me that I might have preaching power, that I might. Uh, glorify your name. Lord, I pray that uh, all that comes from my mouth would be of you. And if anything comes from my mouth that is not of you, I pray that it would wither away and be forgotten. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would open the hearts of my hearers, that they might receive your word with belief, that they might believe your word, and also they might cherish your word. Lord, I pray they would lay it up in their hearts, and they would not only be good hearers of the word, but they would be good doers of the word the word would challenge them, mold them, shape them that they might look more and more like you in their everyday lives. Lord, we love you. Amen. So, how many of you are familiar with Steph Curry? Have y'all have y'all heard of Steph Curry? <laughs> That's a kind of rhetorical question. He he is a famous NBA basketball player uh so he, we, we know him for the star that he is, and he is uh, you know, one of the greatest basketball players in the league right now. Some of y'all may debate that, but he, he's one of the greatest right now. And so when he joined the NBA, this is a kind of quote from his NBA draft kind of rundown. It says this, Stephen Curry, 6'3", 185 pounds, position point guard. Stefan's explosiveness and athleticism are below standard. He's not a great finisher around the goal. He needs to considerably improve as a ball handler. Often struggles against physical defenders. Stefan must develop as a point guard in order to make it in the league. He will have limited success at the next level. Do not rely on him to run your team. So this is hilarious to us because we know him for the star that he is, right? And uh, he's been MVP of the, NBA, uh, of the NBA, and we would expect Stephen Curry to come in as a prodigy, right? We would expect him to come into the, to the NBA and immediately be a beast on the court. But it was not like that. People did not expect much of him. And this surprises us. This makes us wonder what happened for him to go from zero to 100, right? Uh, and Peter, in many ways, was the Stephen Curry of the early church, right? He was their leader. People knew him. Uh, he was kind of the first among the apostles. The, the Bible tells us that people would, they knew where Peter was going. They knew where, uh, you know, the ways app would take him. And so they would set people in his path so that his shadow might fall upon them and they be healed, like, this is who Peter was in the early church. The spirit was heavy upon him. The, 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 the call of God was heavy upon him. And so people, uh, when they read about Peter and his failure in this passage, they're like, whoa, Peter was not really that great to begin with. Jesus had to restore him. Peter had a, fa- a major failure. What happened to bring Peter from zero to 100, Right? And the answer is the grace of God, the grace of God. Now, grace, we, you know, we, we throw this term around a lot, but here's, here's my definition of grace, and I hope it's simple. Uh, grace is God-loving lo- God people who deserve the opposite. Grace is God-loving people who deserve the opposite. Because of our sin, we deserve the opposite of love. We deserve punishment but God loves us in the midst of that. That is called grace. And the thing is, as we're talking about leadership, so I'm gonna you know, specifically talk about elders and deacons, but even more broadly, talking to you generally about Christian leadership, how do we go from zero to 100 in Christian leadership? And I think this is a beautiful picture of what it means to be a Christian leader. In order to be a Christian leader, we must have breakfast with Jesus. Essentially, if leaders are to deal with God's people, they must be dealt with by Jesus. If Christian leaders are to deal with God's people, to lead God's people, to encourage God's people, to uh, extend grace to God's people, they must be dealt with by Jesus. They must be, first and foremost, people who know the grace of God. And so a huge problem, I think, with Christian leadership is a lot of times we have wrong motives, right? Right. That maybe we are uh, wanting to go into Christian leadership because we know our family members would be proud of us to do it. Or maybe we really feel unworthy and this is a way to prove ourselves. Or maybe this is just something to do to be popular uh, before the church. Or maybe we've had a lot of professional success and it just makes sense for me to you know, be a leader in the church because I'm a leader outside of the church or whatever it might be. Or maybe when we get in leadership, we have these deep sins and these deep shame and fear issues and guilt issues, and we think that if I can just do enough in Christian leadership, God will be happy and God will be pleased with me. I can make up and compensate for all of these kind of lacking areas in my life. And what Jesus wants you to know today is that those are not good motivations to be in ministry. Ministry must flow out of a place of being a recipient of grace. Ministry must flow out of a place of being dealt with by Jesus. Are y'all with me? Because if that is not true, ministry will be cruel and unusual punishment. You will get burnt out real quick. Ministry will not be fun. I remember, I remember when I was in seminary, uh, one, one of my older mentors told me I was just eager to get, into, you know, get through seminary and uh, pursue pastoral ministry. And he said, Cyril, sin and suffering will be there for you when you graduate seminary, brother. <laughs> he said, there'll be plenty. Sinners will still be there <laughs> and suffering will still be there. Take your time, sit at the feet of Jesus, learn and develop and grow. And what I want to encourage us today, the main point I want to drive home, is that we must sit at Jesus' feet and have breakfast with him. And there in that place, we find out that Jesus' love overcomes our deepest failures. That the love of Jesus overcomes our deepest failures. So quickly, I'm moving quickly because I want to be out of your way by 11.50-ish. It's 11.38, so we got to move Uh, All right, so the first thing I'm going to look at is Peter's failure. I'm going to look at Peter's failure. Um, So in order to understand what's happening here at this breakfast with Jesus, you have to understand Peter's failure. So Peter was kind of the most uh, kind of rowdy, zealous disciple out of all of them. Um, And so in John chapter 13... Uh, We we see this conversation between Jesus and Peter. This is the night before Jesus died. And Jesus is talking about he's going somewhere where the disciples cannot follow. And Peter's like, Jesus, where are you going? And uh, Jesus said, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, you know, Jesus, you know, he, he might not have said it like this, but I almost imagine he's like, you will lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. He's like, while we're talking about laying down our lives, you are going to do the opposite. You will run and deny me three times. And so while Jesus was on the earth, he had many disciples, but there was an inner circle of 12. And then Peter was, there's like almost an inner inner circle of three. And Peter was one of those. And so uh, Jesus is telling his disciples, I'm going to die. And Peter says, I'm going to die for you. And Jesus is like, no, you're not. You will deny me. And so we see Peter actually denies Jesus. So when a mob comes to capture Jesus, um, he's betrayed by Judas. And while the mob is capturing Jesus, guess what happens? Peter's like, this is my time. I'm going to show Jesus that I'm going to lay down my life. So Jesus takes out a sword and swings at one of the, the, uh, the, the guards and uh, cuts off his ear. And Jesus says, whoa, 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 whoa. He's, Jesus is basically saying, this is not that kind of kingdom. And Jesus puts the ear back on the servant. He does a miracle. And Jesus willingly goes with the mob. And so the disciples scatter. And part of the reason why they're scattered is because they are confused right now. Imagine you, you given up three years of your life. You've left all your possessions. You've left your family, everything you know, to follow this guy who says he is the Messiah. The Messiah means the anointed one. And anointed one was basically a, a, a code term for the king. So like, hey, we're following the king we're getting ready for battle at some point. And so Peter thinks the moment is here. It's time for battle. And Jesus is like, no, I'm not that kind of king. So Peter is confused. When he says, I'm going to lay my life down for you, Jesus, he was thinking, I'm going to lay my life down in battle for you. So he's confused. He's disoriented. All the disciples are like, whoa, what's what's happening? The king is not supposed to get captured. And the king is definitely not supposed to die. What kind of king gets captured and dies before the war starts? Right. And so now Peter, is, Peter and John are following Jesus. Uh, they're going into the uh, high priest court. John kind of knows the doorman. So John gets in and then he goes back and he uh, gets Peter in. And so at the door, they're like, hey, don't you know Jesus? And Peter's like, no, I don't know him, right? And then it was cold. And so Peter goes to a charcoal fire and he's getting warmed up and he's really sketching out because he's wondering what's going on. Why is his king getting captured? Uh, and someone around the fire says, hey, aren't you one of Jesus' followers? And he's like, no. And someone else says, yeah, I know you, I was there, I saw you uh, cut off the ear of that guy. And Peter starts cussing and he says, no, I do not know Jesus. He denies Jesus vehemently and he does it three times. And after that, Luke's gospel account tells us that, P- that Peter wept bitterly. Even one of the gospel accounts says that, that after the third time Peter denied Jesus, Jesus turned and locked eyes with Peter. Almost, I don't know what Jesus was, was doing there, but it's almost like Jesus was like, I see you. And Peter runs away and cries. The leader of the disciples has denied Jesus three times. And so, uh, and, and before we, we, we look at Peter, can, can we see ourselves here? That even though we are um, in the pipeline for leadership in the church, we have been following Jesus for a long time. We have the zeal and the, the passion for the Lord, yet haven't we experienced deep and lasting failure with Jesus? If, if all of us are honest, we have sinned greatly against the Lord at some, part, some point in our lives and maybe even in our Christian lives. Probably in our Christian lives we have had great failures. Maybe it was a lack of integrity on our jobs. Maybe it's, it's something we said to someone that crushed them. Maybe it was just uh, the way we have parented or the way that we have treated our spouses or whatever it may be. Maybe it's uh, uh, a, a lack of integrity with money. Whatever it is that we all have this guilt and this shame on us because we have sinned against the Lord. And maybe we've sinned against him because we didn't understand him like Peter Maybe we thought Jesus was this certain kind of Jesus who was gonna be this kind of Jesus in our lives, and then when we really saw that Jesus was a king who was about suffering and sacrifice and servanthood and submission, we were disoriented and said, I don't know if I really wanna believe this Jesus in this area of my life. And maybe even in the future, as you're operating as an elder and a deacon, maybe you will come to a place where you have a deep failure even in your office as elder or deacon, that you do something embarrassing you will doubt Jesus' goodness to you and you will uh, sin against one of your fellow elders or fellow deacons or maybe against the, the current um, uh, congregation or whatever it may be that we can relate because we all have sinned against Jesus in some way. But here's the thing. Uh, Jesus restores. So this, the second thing i want to look at is Jesus' restoration. Jesus' restoration. Even though Peter has failed Jesus, Jesus is committed to pursuing Peter and restoring him. So imagine, so like, uh, imagine the awkwardness. So Jesus comes, this is the third time he's appeared to the disciples. He comes on on the beach and they're out uh, fishing. And imagine how awkward it kind of would have been, right? So for me, I know that, I mean, we've all grown up and we've had times where we've committed to do something and we haven't come through, right? So Peter's like, Jesus, I will die for you. And then he failed, Right? Maybe something very small, like, "Hey, I'm gonna be there at seven o'clock, and we show up at seven thirty, and it's awkward when we get there, right? Because we have like this sense of, oh man, I let this person down.' Or maybe someone needed a ride to work, and we overslept, and you know they miss, uh, they were late to work because we might have failed. Or maybe with our kids, we've committed to doing something, and we felt we we failed to follow through, or maybe our spouses, and you know when we see this person, and, and it's sometimes kind of awkward. Isn't it, it true that sometimes, even maybe even at church, we can avoid eye contact with someone because when we run into them, we are brutally aware that we have failed them? Has anyone ever been there? Am I the only one? And um, I, I imagine, imagine that you have just did this to Jesus and Jesus is coming around and you're like, all this time probably like, you know, can you imagine that? They're like, yeah, we just denied this guy. And he's resurrected, he's obviously king of the universe. And now he is in our presence and in our midst. Imagine kind of the awkwardness, right? So I think what's going on here is Jesus knows that this is a little awkward for his disciples, not for him because Jesus, you know, maybe, I don't know if Jesus ever had an awkward moment. But imagine disciples had plenty of awkward moments around Jesus. So Jesus kind of knows, I need to restore them. So Peter, Jesus comes on the beach and then uh, uh, Jesus sets up kind of the scenery for Peter specifically, uh, but all the disciples, his restoration. Now, Jesus does it so carefully. Look at, at how Jesus sets up this restoration. He, he sets up the restoration in a way that he all, is always pointing back to the failure. So the first thing, what are they doing? They are fishing. Um, so Peter had failed Jesus, right? Denied him. And Jesus restores him while Peter is fishing. At the beginning of Luke's gospel account, guess, Luke tells us, guess where Jesus called Peter? while Peter was fishing. And Jesus did the same miracle as he was calling Peter. Jesus, as he is restoring Peter, he is reminding Peter of, hey, remember the moment where you first followed me. I think Jesus does this intentionally. And then also look at the setting. It says in uh, in uh, verse, in chapter 18, verse 18, it, it talks about Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. And it says, while they're having breakfast with Jesus, where are they having breakfast with Jesus? It says, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place. So even as the disciples are coming to have breakfast with Jesus, this setting is the same setting as Peter's deepest failure. Jesus is setting him up. And then also, even the words that Jesus uses. Je- Peter denied Jesus how many times? Three times, right? And then how many times does Jesus ask Peter, do you love me? Three times. He says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And, here, and, and I think this is what Jesus is doing. Um, and, and, and this is interesting. The text says that after the third time, Peter got sad It grieved Peter because I think Peter knew what was happening. Jesus was trying to remind Peter of the three fail, of the three denials. And so you might be like, "Wow, this is kind of mean, right?" Jesus is kind of, you know, rubbing his finger in the wound, right? But I don't think that's what's happening here. I think Jesus is teaching us something about leadership. Like I said that in order to lead God's people, you have to be dealt with by Jesus. You see, uh, I, uh, imagine if Jesus kind of didn't rip the Band-Aid off, right? Jesus kind of ripping the Band-Aid off here. Uh, Peter probably would have been a great apostle, but he probably would have been always a little bit insecure about, you know what? I'm not really sure how, you know, I know Jesus, I'm cool with him and stuff because he came around a few times when he was resurrected, but we never had a conversation about me cussing out loud and denying him, right? He, When suffering happened, he, he might have been like, you know what? are me and Jesus good? Because this is kind of hard, right? Or maybe when he, when he had failures, he would have been like crushed because the only reason that he attempted that particular thing was because he felt like he had to compensate for his denial. Or maybe he, he had never been dealt with in front of the other apostles, So his leadership strategy to the other apostles was to prove that he deserved to be the first among them because he had never really dealt with that failure and he would always be insecure. I'm just speculating right here. I'm just thinking about what would have been like to be Peter and lead without having John chapter 21. Are y'all with me? But here what Jesus does is he says, hey, Peter, sit down and have breakfast with me we're going to talk about your deepest failure. I'm going to rip off that band-aid. I'm going to force you to stare your sin and your deepest failure in the face, and I'm going to love you in the midst of it. And this is beautiful. Look, look what Jesus says. Um, Peter he he says, "Peter, you will lay down your life for me." Essentially, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. He's like, "You will lay down your life for me." Like where you failed, you will succeed. And it's beautiful. The last thing that Jesus tells Peter, he says this in verse 19, he says, and after saying this, he said to him, follow me. To me, that's beautiful. The first invitation that Jesus gave to Peter as his disciple was, follow me. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, Peter, I see your sin, I see your failure, and I want you to deal with it. And he's he's almost saying, almost you're at a clean slate. It's almost as if we're at the honeymoon phase of our relationship again, Peter. It's almost as if that failure didn't even happen. You you are now a renewed disciple. He's saying, renew your commitment to me, Peter. I love you. There is grace for you. You are forgiven. As far as the east is from the west, so far is your sin removed from you. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so, fe- so great is God's steadfast love for you, Peter. Jesus says, follow me. And so elders and deacons, Jesus has this same desire, this same posture towards you in the midst of your deepest failures, past, present, and future, Jesus knows that your temptation will be to run away from your sin, to run away from your failure. And even if someone confronts you or tells you about it, or you are maybe not even someone intentionally confronts you that you are confronted with it on your own, by your own recognition, you will try to bury it and push it aside but Jesus wants to rip off the Band-Aid. He wants to have you stare face-to-face with your sin and lean totally and wholly on his grace, his love for you, even though you deserve the opposite. And day by day, he renews the invitation to follow him afresh. He tells you to follow him. And so the thing is, in the midst of leadership of any kind, in the midst of you following Jesus, in the midst of your office as elder and your office as deacon, your first and foremost role is to have breakfast with Jesus daily and to be someone who is dealt with by Jesus. Because if you are not dealt with by Jesus, you cannot lead God's people out of a place of fullness and out of a place of integrity. And you know what? Even when we fail to, and even in the office, when we run away from Jesus, isn't there comfort? Because I know if we're all honest with ourselves, at some point we're gonna fail and we're gonna run away and we're gonna feel this insecurity. It is comforting to know that Jesus is someone who is gonna pursue us with his love. He will not let us run away. His spirit will convict us and draw us back to him. So that is my prayer for you, that you will be dealt with by Jesus and that his grace and mercy will pursue you all the days of your lives and his grace and mercy will pursue you even in the midst of this office and even in the midst of your leadership. So that even in the midst of you running away and even in the midst of when you're not sure if you're really cool with Jesus, in the midst of your leadership, he is always laying out fish on a charcoal fire and he's saying, hey, come and have breakfast with me. So y'all, we see Peter's failure and Jesus' restoration We have our failures and Jesus seeks to restore us. Will we again come and receive Jesus' love and have breakfast with him? Would you all pray with me? Lord, we thank you for this time. Lord, we thank you for the fact that you love us, that you're pursuing us. And even in the midst of our deepest failures, in the midst of our deepest sin, in the midst of us running away from you or even just being there with you but not being sure if we are totally okay with you. Jesus, you are pursuing us and you want to lay out a spread for us and have breakfast with us. God, I pray that we would be dealt with by you, that we would be humble enough to confess our sins to you and to each other, that we would turn away from our sins knowing that the mercy of God extended to us in Jesus Christ is great and vast and without limit. There is no sin that is too great that cannot be covered by the finished work that you have accomplished on the cross and in your resurrection, Lord. So God, I pray that you would encourage us, you would embolden us. Lord, I pray that we would serve and lead out of a place of being filled by your spirit and of knowing your love. Lord, we love you. Amen.